A Dog's Life is supported by RelaxoPet. It's simply animal relaxing. Being left alone, travelling, fireworks, thunder, trips to the vet, or just a change in any environment can unsettle a pet. This tune sounds very relaxing, yet beneath this meditative melody are levels of frequencies that are only audible to your dog. When I tried out RelaxoPet with my excitable miniature bull terrier Prudence, I simply couldn't believe how quickly she settled and actually seemed more deeply relaxed. Her behaviour in general has actually dropped several gears <laughs> and she is more confident and calm in herself, so I use it every day. Developed in Germany, RelaxoPet emanates cleverly configured frequencies that tune into your dog's subconscious to retrain his thought processes into becoming calm. Tested in collaboration with vets, breeders, pet parents in a huge variety of stressful situations, it boasts a uniquely calibrated speaker system that just plugs in and plays. Along with the RelaxoPet sound system, you can develop a calmer dog with other RelaxoPet products like the super scent safe multi-purpose play ring and the soothing cool bandana. Why not check out their full product range and even order yours today from PetTradeInnovations.com. That's PetTradeInnovations.com. I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Well, Mr. Binks, now, I know it's a very sensitive subject, but uh, how shall we put this? You have had them chopped off. Well, you were already neutered before I rehomed you. There is so much science flying around at the moment around the issue as to whether you should neuter or whether you shouldn't neuter. And it was great to catch up with Lise Hansen when lockdown was relaxed and ask her this question, to neuter or not to neuter? Hey, Lise Hansen, welcome again to A Dog's Life. Thank you very much. So you've flown over again from Denmark yes. to spend a bit of time practising in London. I've been dying to ask you, actually, Lise, uh, do you see any regional differences between your London clients and your clients in Copenhagen? It's interesting. I do and I don't. I mean, at the, at the, at the root of it, we're all the same, aren't we? All, we all love animals, so, so we all have that in common, people who live with dogs and care for dogs everywhere. Um, but there are some cultural differences. There are. I think generally in London, dog owners are very, very well informed where maybe in Denmark people tend to, to just do what their vet says and do less research themselves. That's I'm probably going to get... I shouldn't have said that, but, but, but I, I think that is the case. Uh, there are a lot of dog owners in England who are incredibly well informed, um, sometimes more than their vet, if I dare say that. In, in what sort of issues? Well, I mean, this is just such an exciting time because there are so many changes happening uh, in terms of, of vaccination, in terms of tighter testing. I, I mean, I would say these days, I wouldn't, I, if I was a dog owner, well, I am a dog owner, but if I was a, only a dog owner and not a vet, I wouldn't go to a vet that didn't offer in-house tighter testing. Because that's something you talk about in your book, isn't it? It's to find the vet that Will work to find the vet you. that moves that that keeps up, 
you know, the, the, the person that follows the latest scientific ad advances, uh, that stays informed and that is prepared to change their practice in line with new information. We can't just, we can't all just be doing and saying what we did 20, 30 years ago. And that goes for vets and it goes for breeders and it goes for, I mean, this is what I mean about so much new information coming out in the last decade or so really yes. i mean it's unbelievable what 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 what's come to light in terms of dogs health and and it's no good saying well i've been breeding dogs for 50 years and i know all there is to know because there's just so much that's new and we all need to adapt and that goes for dog owners and for vets um, and i would really you know advise anyone to find a vet that stays informed and changes how they do things so with the, using a titer test as an absolutely. example absolutely um i mean i know in 2008 i have a titer test i think it cost me over 300 pounds yes but now lise you know explain that's a lot cheaper now it's absolutely a lot cheaper. prices vary depending on whether it's part of a health check done by a, a vet you know if it's part of a consultation or whether you just see a nurse and they do it you can get it done for 50 quid in lots of places now it may cost a bit more if there's a vet involved and it's and it's part of a, a a general um, MOT, so to speak, for your dog, but but I would I would just I would almost go as far as to say that every dog's need a titer test. Explain very quickly what one is. It's a blood test that you do to check whether that animal is fully protected from previous vaccines whenever they were given, or whether that dog needs a booster. And routinely repeating boosters against core vaccines is no longer something that anybody can can defend. I mean, it's just poor practice. Um, and it's hard to know when a vet is a good vet. You know, it's hard as a layperson. I can't judge my mechanic. I have to trust what he says about my car. I'm not trying to liken dogs to cars, but you know what I mean? No. It's hard as a layperson to judge how competent is the professional person that is advising me. And I would say one very quick test is to ask, do you do an in-house titer test? Excellent. Uh, and, and all good vets do. Yes, and perhaps ask about their stance on, on feeding Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I know from my own experience as a raw food feeder, still to this day, you know, like very recently, like two months ago, I have been criticised by um, a veterinary practice for feeding um, a raw food diet. So what do you think of that? Well, it's it's funny that people have strong opinions about these things, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I was a founding member of the Royal Feeding Veterinary Society a decade ago now, and there's lots and lots of very interesting research coming out now about the benefits of raw feeding. Of lots of it coming from, a lot of it from the university in, in Finland are doing some amazing studies. Um, it's not for everybody, but, but I think the main the main, my main um, approach to, to most things is that there's no one size fits all, and, and you need to be prepared to look at what's best for each dog absolutely and funnily enough um, I haven't actually asked that practice what their view is on tighter testing but I think I already know the answer so it's probably best just to leave but it. I don't but there's no argument against tighter testing I mean the powers that be advocate this strongly so there's only really those that keep up and adjust their practices and you know lead the way and those that drag their feet and are stuck in the past and they will get there eventually but why why get their last? It just... Well, it seems crazy, but also in terms <laughs> yeah. of new information, yes. um, we're, we're looking at neutering because yes. there's been, in the time I've, I've been a grown-up living with dogs over the last 18 years, it's been a massive campaign to spay and neuter, spay and neuter, with the view to control the stray dog population, really. Yes. And the irony, of course, I think is that it hasn't actually worked because we now have more dogs in rescue than ever before and we're living with more dogs since records began, which 
is, is a wonderful thing, of course. Um, the reason being, of course, the proliferation of puppy farming and mass breeding and mass selling through third-party networks has meant that there have been more and more and more puppies flooding the market yeah. than ever before. Yeah. So spaying and neutering hasn't really worked from the dog population point of view. But Lise, explain a little bit more from your point of view and where you stand on it. Well, it is, it is certainly an area where the information available to us is very, very new. When we're talking about vaccine, you know, the new information that we have and that we ought to act on uh, is maybe 10, 12, even 15 years old but in terms of neutering this was a this was a, a bomb really that went off in the in the veterinary society in 2013 um, when a study was published from University of California uh, where they looked at the lifetime health records of I believe it was 759 golden retrievers um, and just analyzed that in various ways to try to look for factors that influenced the health of, of those dogs and found which was a complete shock to everybody um, that the dogs that had been neutered males and females um, were significantly sicker than the dogs that had been left intact uh, specifically they found um, a very increased risk of four different types of cancer uh, in that study and of um, skeletal problems you know dysplasia um, and uh, knee ligament problems and that was like a complete eye-opener um, to well to everybody like prior to that if anybody have asked me if I get my dog neutered, how will that affect, um, you know, his knees? I would have said, as long as he doesn't get overweight, why would it affect his knees at all? Uh, but we found out that that it does. And, and I think the main thing to say about neutering, because it is so new. I mean, this was this came in 2013, and no one suspected. And and since there's been a frenzy of of studies done and and papers published, and the main thing we can say at the moment is that you know watch this space but neutering is absolutely not the benign procedure that we used to think that it was and neutering you know sex hormones are not just to do with reproduction they play a major part in maintaining general health um, and I mentioned um, skeletal problems as cancers as the first issues that were flagged up in this initial study uh, but recent studies that have followed on from that have really demonstrated that uh, thyroid disease allergies autoimmune disease the list goes on and on and on and on of diseases that are more prominent in animals dogs that have been uh, neutered than dogs that are left intact so we're really still we have a lot to learn still and what about again regional differences um so read in that, your yeah, book that um, is one area with big know, regional being, differences being half swedish you know i, I trust scandinavia <laughs> so i found it very interesting in your book to learn that in norway it is actually illegal yeah. to spay and neuter your yeah. dog i mean that's that's a big moment right yeah and it's i mean People misunderstand me sometimes when I use this example, but I think it, it makes sense to me that if we talk about cropping, if we talk about, you know, docking tails and, and ear cropping and cosmetic surgery for dogs, yeah. then most of us instinctively and all vets that I know, certainly in Europe, would sort of think, oh, my God, no, you know, we don't do that. It's illegal in lots of places and it's deeply frowned upon and considered unethical. Um, it's something that we don't do. But 
up until very recently, most vets would absolutely routinely neuter. You know, someone would phone up and say, well, my dog is six months old. Um, we're not planning to breed. Let's, let's book him or her in to have them neutered. And the vets would do it without a second thought thinking that it was a harmless procedure, um, whereas that same vet would never consider docking a tail or, or, or you know, doing cosmetic surgery, whereas actually now we know, and I'm not advocating cosmetic surgery, don't get me wrong. Well, it's illegal. I mean, it's illegal this, and it's not something England. to do. It mm. is illegal and it's unethical and I'm not advocating that, America. but I'm saying the consequence for the dog of having ears that stand up or a tail that's shorter is negligible compared exactly. to the ill effect on that dog of neutering that we used to think was was a completely harmless thing. I mean, and neutering thing. has to be seen as very separate from population control. You know, it's a different. When, when we're talking about, first of all, let me just say we're talking about routine neutering. Obviously, if you've got a testicular cancer or if you've got a, a womb infection or whatever, there can be very strong arguments for neutering a dog. Absolutely, but we're talking about routine neutering of healthy animals um, for no particular reason and the fact that we now know that that can be detrimental to their health to the point where it may kill them. But people listening to this will be remembering what their vets said to them. Yeah. Having Lots of people will be listening thinking, oh my word, I've, I've neutered and I've spayed my, my, my bitch. Um, and they will remember the vet saying, but listen, you must be very, very, very worried about pyometra in a bitch. You've got to be really worried about testicular cancer in your dog, you know, kills one in three males. And pyometra is a womb infection that's so serious, you know, that you're best of spaying now and then you're never going to have a pyometra. What do you say about that? Well, that is certainly an area where the, the regional differences that you were asking about come into play. Um, in, in, I mean, like you said yourself, in, in Norway and in Sweden and Scandinavia, neutering is culturally not a, a, you know, different countries vary between um, 30, 30 to 40% doing it and no one practically doing it. I mean, in Norway and Sweden, 90-something percent of all dogs are intact. Uh, and there is no stray population. There is, you know, it, it's not an issue. Whereas in America, it's my impression that it's almost considered irresponsible to even consider having a dog that's not been neutered. Uh, and indeed, in some places, uh, breeders will neuter the, you know, the puppies before they even sell them. So you'll take them off their mother's teats, uh, do a complete um, hysterectomy, and, and 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 you know, neuter babies. It sounds crazy to a European but it's done on a routinely basis in America. And you've got to bear in mind the surgical procedure, there's general anaesthetics involved, uh, it's not so invasive for a boy dog, um, no. you know, but for, for girl dogs, um, you know, it was once only possible to do a complete hysterectomy, so basically slitting the stomach wide open, getting a hoovering device and going... <laughs> and sucking it all up and then sewing you back up again that's actually what molly my first miniature bull terrier uh, had um now however there is keyhole surgery right explain what that is and whether you think that's uh, a good happy medium I, I mean if i think the main question is whether you're going to neuter or not neuter a general, a general anesthetic and a, and a you know abdominal surgery is never to be taken lightly mm. but we used to think that the 
ill effects of that were quite minimal that it you know it was the risk surrounding the surgery itself and then for females we were aware that there was a risk of urinary incontinence um, that may happen in as many as one in five or one in seven uh, neutered bitches but up until 2013 that was really it as far as as side effects of of neutering were concerned and now we know that animals may develop cancer purely because we took away the sexual hormones and the input that we don't totally understand yet that that has on their entire organism and and i should say as well that and that goes for vets and dog owners that that no one should blame themselves because i do meet i do come across this a lot now that we are aware that if someone routinely neutered their dog 10 years ago without giving it a second thought and that dog then developed a cancer of course hearing all this new information yes. we all go back and think that might have been completely avoidable and we were just ignorant and we can't blame ourselves for what we didn't know but what we can do now is stay informed and change our practices and there is no argument for routine neutering today and it's interesting with one in two dogs being considered fat or obese in this country alone might you think that if we are less uh, quick to neuter might dogs become slimmer it'll certainly be interesting to see i mean lots of again lots of factors if we feed more dogs raw than we were talking about before i think that's the main step in my world you know get them off the carbohydrates yes. uh, feed them what they were designed to eat exactly get them um, off the barley yeah, and the yeah, wheat yeah. and the rice but these the are oats. all the very important lifestyle choices and i think that's such an important part of caring for an animal i mean as a vet you don't want to be left patching them up and picking up the pieces when it's all gone wrong um, maybe through um, inappropriate feeding over vaccination neutering that we now know is a danger in itself you know it, it's so much more interesting and so much more well constructive to be looking at how can we give them a, a natural lifestyle and how can we support their natural health through feeding them proper food only giving them the vaccines that they need and not repeating them too often um, not new to them unless there is a particular reason to do so but minimizing but antibiotics maybe like well, GPs in, in people yeah that's a know? big thing that's that's happening big thing. yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean we're losing the power of antibiotics because we've been using them so indiscriminately uh, absolutely Probiotics are going to play a, a much bigger part in the future, I think, in trying to keep, you know, keep everybody healthy. Well, the gut is supposed to be the second yeah. brain, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Lise, about lifestyle and so on, you know, I think vets can, of course, encourage a very proactive approach from that very first meeting with your puppy when you yeah. go for your first vet checkup whereas I've, I've spoken to people whose dogs I've trained and so on that it's at that very first checkup that your puppy's booked in for its six month spay or neuter depending on whether it's a girl or a boy it's booked in on that very first vet appointment well there's so much to talk about and there's so much new information to share and I think that's that's it just deserves attention, doesn't it? That that whole, all those lifestyle choices that you make to keep your animal healthy. And that's what, I mean, the most important part of my book is about, I think. The first part of my book is about all these lifestyle choices that we make for our animals. There are four big ones that every dog owner have to make decisions about, which is um, vaccination, neutering, diet, and parasite uh, treatments. And it doesn't matter whether your animal is completely healthy, you will have to make choices about these. And even if you're not consciously making a choice, you're making a choice. Um, and, and 
we should all look to the new information that's available rather than just do what we've always done. But the thing is, people obviously respect and listen to what their vet has to say. So in a way, the actual dog owner, particularly if you're a first-time dog owner, you're almost powerless. You're, you're in the hands of the vet. And how does that first-time dog owner know whether the vet around the corner is a, in inverted commas, good vet or not so good vet? In a way, the dog owner is almost um, a victim of the vet's You have views. to trust them. No, you absolutely have to trust them. And, and sometimes, I mean, there are situations, if you have a sick animal, where there's more than one way to go, you know, and there are different ways to approach something. I had this conversation with a with a dog owner last night uh, at the clinic. You know, there are some situations where one vet wants to go on all in, um, knock out a 17-year-old dog, do lots of, of, of tests to find out exactly what's wrong. And another approach would be to say, well, let's not mess them around too much. Let's keep him comfortable. Let's accept the fact that we don't know exactly what's going on, but keep him feeling okay. And neither of those approaches is wrong. It's just different ways to approach health. And there has to be room for, for each person's personal choices um, as well. So I think it's really important. I mean, there's a chapter in my book called Who's Your Vet? Um, and I talk about the, you know, vet to be interview. And I mean that quite seriously. I do think you need to go and don't just go to the vet nearest you or the vet with, you know, the best parking or whatever, um, the cheapest vet. Find out who you trust and find out early. Um, and that's what those puppy um, visits are really useful for because there's no stress. You've got a healthy animal, hopefully, um, and there's so much to discuss about these areas, these four lifestyle um, topics, really. And if you find that what your vet says resonates with you, then chances are that they will as well if you're suddenly there in the middle of the night in a panic with a very sick animal and, and decisions have to be made. But you need to have a professional that you can trust and that respects you and listens to you. And, and yeah, if not share your approach, then at least respects it and knows it. And and agree that sometimes, you know, people have different opinions. Yeah. And perhaps often as well to draw on your own lifestyle choices, say, you know, if you think you, you eat very healthily, maybe to transfer your sort of fresh food approach, not your popping micro microwave meal approach to feeding your dog. As similarly, you know, with vaccinations, um, you know, if you do give your child the MMR jab, you will only be giving your child the MMR jab the once. Whereas quickly there, Lee's explain why, you know, an annual booster jab is now considered a bit of an antiquated approach. Well, it's it's just an old fashioned approach and it's not in line with, with what we know currently, which is well described in the in the guidelines that are available and all vets should be very familiar with the guidelines of the WSAVA. The World's the World, World, yeah. Animal Veterinary Association Absolutely. that um, offers recommendations doesn't it globally yeah that absolutely based on science yeah and I think a very firm principle is to test before you treat so where before we knew better going back 10 or 20 years it was common practice to just throw in those vaccines and keep repeating them uh, but now we have the tighter test available that means that we can check if a vaccine is needed for this dog right now and if it isn't there's nothing gained from doing it so we don't similarly there's been a lot of um, 
parasite treatments, you know, toxic to the animal, toxic to the planet. I mean, bees and flying insects are dying partly because of these chemicals that we put on dogs and cats, sometimes on a monthly basis, to stop them getting fleas. Um, and these are, in some cases, some of the drugs that are banned from farming now because they're so detrimental to the, to the planet. Um, and it's a little bit crazy that we're putting them on our dogs and cats to be systemically absorbed so that they won't get something as harmless as, as fleas. You know, let's, let's test and then treat. And in very many cases, that goes for internal parasites like worms as well. Don't, in Denmark, where I also practice, um, routine worming is illegal. Uh, wormers are prescription only and it, the rules are very clear that a vet cannot write a prescription for a wormer just because an owner asks about it. You have to diagnose that animal um, as suffering from worms, otherwise you cannot write that prescription. That's fantastic. So that really is... Um, that must be the future everywhere. Because yeah. So it's something, um, of course, vets don't advertise, uh, certainly in England, or I've not known them to. You can do a worm count. You, exactly. Uh, yeah. So worm count's very easy, isn't it? Um, Lees, you have a little pot and you take three days worth of yep. poop and you pop it into the pot and then you package it all up or you take it into your vet and they then send it off for testing and this poop can be tested for all all worms yeah. including lungworm yeah which is something i know from having a chat with someone recently not many people know about this and lungworm is professed to be this big killer that is this real danger what do you think well I there's a lot to say about lungworm, and I go into detail um, in my book about this particular topic. In some areas, for some dog, lungworm, routine lungworm treatment is completely, uh, I mean, does not, it's completely superfluous and doesn't do a thing. There are high-risk geographical areas, and there are high-risk dogs. Um, dogs that, most dogs are diagnosed um, with lungworm are under two years old. Um, and it's the kind of puppy behavior where you, like babies, put everything in your mouth. You know, dogs that have to drink out of every puddle, eat grass, chew everything, taste everything, um, are at higher risk of ingesting the, the snails and the slugs that are um, an intermediate host and, and carries the lungworm. Uh, but if you have an elderly dog, if you have a five-year-old dog, that doesn't even have to be an old dog, who, who has never had lungworm in its life, and you maybe live in an area where it's not a very common parasite, the risk is minimal. And or if you want to be safe, maybe send off a stool sample. Um, you know, whenever, a couple of times a year, whatever. It's also a seasonal thing in many places, you know. So it's a, it's a summer season, it's a geographical thing, it's an age thing, behavior uh, dependent. So just to blanket, get, give every dog treatment against um, lungworm based on, it's a fear-based advertising and I think it's distasteful. Yes, I mean would you say that some of your counterpart vets maybe sell products based on fear? I think you've seen these ads haven't you? I mean it, it is fear driven and fear is not a good reason to do anything. I think, I mean the reason I wrote my book is to help 
dog owners who want to be informed make these choices based on where they live and who their animal is and what their real risks are and know what to ask their vet. And I think the general principle to, tr to test before you treat, and that goes for tighter testing before you vaccinate, stool sample before you give a wormer. Um, I mean, when did you last take a routine preventative worming pill? We don't do that. You know, people get worms too. If you get worms, you'll find out you've got worms and then you take the worming pill. You don't take one every month just in case you should have worms and not know about it. It's, so a, it's a silly logic. That's so funny thinking humans get worms. I've never actually thought about people getting worms. Kinder kindergarten nursery teachers get, you know, children get worms all the time. And, and school teachers and kindergarten teachers get worms all the time. But nobody Ooh. goes and worms them routinely. Gosh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> small kids will get worms at some point. It's like nits, you know. Right. If you get nits, you get rid of the nits. You, we don't do chemical treatments on our children or on ourselves just in case a parasite happened to come by that we, you know, we, we test. We Absolutely. diagnose these things no, and I'm then a, we treat them. I'm a great fan of the worm count and I wish yeah. more vet practices Absolutely. would offer that. So test before you treat. Test before you treat, and yes. And read Lise Hansen's book. Oh, Please even buy it. <laughs> the Complete well, Book of Cat and Dog Health, which is available Amazon. Yeah, it should be available from any, any bookshop. If they haven't got it on the shelf, then you can order it, yeah. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Now, don't worry, you're not alone. Many dogs have also had them snipped off. But it could be the time to now pause for thought before you neuter. I hope you all enjoyed it too and found it interesting. If you did, please subscribe to A Dog's Life with Anna Webb on your favorite podcast app. We're on all of them. Thank you also to Lise Hansen. Please do follow Lise at Alternative Vet. And her book, The Complete Book of Cat and Dog Health, is available to buy on Amazon. Links to both are in the show notes as well. Thank you also to our amazing sponsors at RelaxoPet and at Pet Trade Innovations. Thanks also to my producer, Mike Hansen, at Pod People Productions. You can follow them at Pod People UK. For more about me, I'm on at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Oh, yes, we will be back in your feed next Sunday for another episode of The Dog's Life with Anna Webb. Bye for now. Pod people.